We're looking at the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, how Nehemiah prays, how Nehemiah plans. Today we want to look at how Nehemiah motivates. Nehemiah knew that he could not rebuild the walls of Jerusalem without some help. He needed the help of other people. So when Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, the people, they're defeated. They're apathetic. They're living among the ruins. In fact, twice before, in the last 90 years, someone has tried to rebuild the walls, and they failed twice. So the people had no confidence. They're very negative. And for 90 years, they've been saying, it can't be done. It just can't be done. Yet Nehemiah arrives on the scene in a matter of days. He has rallied the support of the entire city. He mobilizes them, and they begin the project. The question is, how did Nehemiah pull this off when other people had failed to do it? This morning we want to look at this portion of the second chapter of Nehemiah. Look at six biblical steps that Nehemiah uses to motivate the city. We want to do this because it's very practical. In fact, you can use these biblical steps when you're trying to get the cooperation of other people or when you're introducing change into your family when you want to get a project off the ground. We look at six things that Nehemiah did. So please take out the sermon notes that have been prepared for you today. Step number one in your notes, expect opposition. Yes, expect opposition. That's the starting point. In fact, the moment that you say, let's do something, you can expect opposition. Somebody, for some reason, is going to say, let's don't. When people don't, when God's people rise up and say, hey, let's build, Satan says, let's oppose. People are naturally resistant to change. People just like the status quo, which is the Latin for the mess we're in. People resist change for a variety of reasons. We'll see this in the book of Nehemiah. We read Nehemiah chapter 2, when Sanballat and Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days. So Nehemiah names here two leaders of the opposition. They come forward throughout the book of Nehemiah. Sambalat was the governor of Samaria. Tobiah was the leader of the Ammonites. And you notice that Nehemiah had not even arrived when the opposition was arising. Nehemiah hadn't really done anything. Somebody must have warned Nehemiah even before he got there. But look at the apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 16. Paul writes, I will stay at Ephesus. There's real opportunity for here for a great and worthwhile work, even though there are many who oppose me. Two words focus on opportunity and opponents. This is the first leader's law I want to share today. In your notes, there is no opportunity without opposition. There's no opportunity without opposition. Count on it. If you're going to help change a situation or change people, you can expect opposition. 
But when you're motivating others in your notes, there also needs to be the right timing. Timing is everything when you're trying to motivate people. Would you agree? There's a right time and there's a wrong time. Have you ever had a great idea killed because of bad timing? In your family, you have a great idea to do something, but then it was a terrible day at work or unexpected bills arrive, bad timing. Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem and he stays there for three days. He does nothing for three days. He did not arrive on a white horse in a grand parade like Hollywood would portray. He arrived in Jerusalem and did nothing for three days. But what was he doing? He probably was resting after a thousand mile journey on camel. He knew that you don't make a major leadership decision either when you're tired. He may also have been praying for these three days. He was a man of prayer. He also was planning, reviewing his strategy. He was also building curiosity among the leaders and the people of the city. So Nehemiah wants the people to be ready, to be ready for the time when he presents his proposal. His proposal? To rebuild the walls of the city. Look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 7. There is a time to be silent. There's a time to speak. Jesus also had a profound sense of timing in his ministry. See, many times Jesus said, my times are not, not yet come. It's not time yet. So step number one, you expect opposition. Step number two in your notes, get the facts first. That's F-A-C-T-S, not F-A-X. Get the facts first. Look at Nehemiah's research party going out to get the facts. We read in Nehemiah chapter 2, sort of like a Paul Revere's midnight ride. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for the city. There was no animal with me but the one that, on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool. But there was no room for my animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the, in the night by, by the valley and inspected the wall, I turned back, entered the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews or the priests, nobles, the officials, and the rest who were going to be doing the work. So Nehemiah was personally inspecting. He was inspecting the damage in the middle of the night with only a few men. Every good leader knows what Nehemiah is doing here. Why? At night, in your notes, Nehemiah is simply doing his homework. He's doing homework, his background checks. This is the lonely part of leadership. This is the non-glamorous part of leadership. This is not part of what you hear. You'll call it preparation. You're just getting the facts first. I'm sure he is saying that this project is worse than I thought it was going to be. Or why did I volunteer for this? I never built a wall in my life. I'm just a cupbearer. Nehemiah had not told anyone why he was there. So why is Nehemiah being so secretive? About this, Nehemiah didn't want his plan to be stalled before he got out of the starting gate. See, there had been 90 years 
of negativism. Nehemiah didn't have all the facts yet. So let me ask you, is it easier? Is it easier to promote a new idea? Or is it easier to kill a new one? To kill it without doubt? Because negative people are always more vocal than positive people. Have you noticed that? Here's the leader's law in your notes. Leaders protect their plans from premature death. Leaders actually protect their plans from premature death. Just look at Proverbs 23, verse 23. Get the facts at any price. Hold on tightly to all the good sense you can get. On the back of your notes, look at Proverbs 18, 13. What a shame, yes, how stupid, to decide before knowing the facts. So here's the third leader's law in your notes. Good leaders, good leaders do their research. Good leaders do their research. Step number one, you expect opposition. Step two, you get the facts. Step number three, you identify with your people. You identify with your people. Look at Nehemiah 2, verse 17. Then, meaning after he identified the opposition, after he had gotten all the facts, then I said to them, you see the trouble you are in? Is that what it says? No. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we, we will no longer be in disgrace. All good leaders do this. You're going to associate with the people. I'm one with you. You don't walk in from the outside and you say you're a bunch of miserable failures. You can't get this thing done or built. It's been 90 years and nothing has been done by you. When you start blaming people, then you decrease the motivation. When you accept the blame, you increase the motivation. Good leaders, they identify. They identify with your people. Even kids in your family are motivated better when you identify with them and you show them you understand. The next leader's law in your notes, the best ideas are not mine or the best ideas are not yours, but in your notes are ours because you identify with your people. Step number four, dramatize the problem. You dramatize the seriousness of the problem. Nehemiah says, first, I want to give you the bad news. Then I'll give you the good news. He does not minimize the problems. He dramatizes them. Look at Nehemiah 2, verse 17 again. You see what? The trouble. Jerusalem lies in what? The ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Rebuild so we will no longer be where? In disgrace. Nehemiah dramatizes this problem. The word picture emphasizes his emotions. Why? Because the people of Jerusalem have been living with this for years. Isn't it a fact of life that when you live in a bad situation long enough that you just start ignoring it? Something breaks in your house for the first two or three weeks, it really bugs you. Six months later, it's still broken, but it doesn't bug you anymore. Nehemiah is saying that when you live with a situation long enough, you can become empathetic. So Nehemiah refocuses their attention right to the problem. We have a mess. We have trouble here. Nehemiah is getting the people to face the facts. He has done his research. He first got their facts. 
Now the people must face the facts. Why does Nehemiah do this? Because change. Change never occurs until somebody becomes like this discontent. They become discontent with the bad situation. If you want to change something, like when the paint on the walls of the church is peeling off, the mortar and the brick is on the outside, it needs to be replaced. Somebody has to notice that and become discontented before any changes will take place. If you are, if you are contented, then you don't want to change anything. And you certainly won't invest your time or your treasure to support it. So Nehemiah uses two motivators here to rock the boat, to create a desire for change. In your notes, number one, Nehemiah appeals to their self-esteem. Nehemiah appeals to their self-esteem. He says, we are in disgrace. Nehemiah said, we are God's people, and we're living in rubble. The city is torn down. The walls are torn down. Nehemiah is a leader, a leader that realizes that the people are demoralized. He's concerned about their self-esteem. Number two, Nehemiah goes even deeper than that. Nehemiah appeals to their concern for God's glory. He appealed to their concern for God's glory. Not only were the Jewish people being disgraced, the fact is that the God was being disgraced also. Who were the Jews? They were God's people. So Nehemiah appealed to their concern for God's glory. Nations were saying the greatest God of the whole world has a people that cannot rebuild the walls of their own city. God was being disgraced. It was a poor testimony. So as Nehemiah was trying to motivate the people, he does not use external motivators. He doesn't say we will rebuild the walls and the one that works the hardest gets a new camel car or wins the trip to the Dead Sea. No. You see, external motivators work good on the kids. You clean your room and you can watch more TV. The older you get, the more mature you get. Here's the leader's law in your notes. The greatest motivation is not external. The greatest motivation is not internal, but rather in your notes, greatest motivation is eternal. The greatest motivator in life is eternal. Let's rebuild the walls to the glory of God so that God's name is not being disgraced. Let's rebuild for the kingdom. Step number five in your notes. Ask for a response. Nehemiah asked for a specific response. Come, let us rebuild the wall. Nehemiah pumped them up. Then he gave them something to do. Nehemiah calls for action. He appeals for help from the people. Notice something about Nehemiah. In your notes, Nehemiah was both realistic, he was both realistic, and he was also optimistic. He was both realistic and optimistic. That's a balance that good leaders must have. Nehemiah got the, first, got the facts first. He was realistic. He saw how bad it really was. I couldn't even ride my horse all the way around the gates because of the rubble and the bricks that were piled so high. He was realistic. But Nehemiah is also optimistic. He doesn't give up. He says, let's rebuild. The leader's law on this is leaders, leaders see both the real, that is what is, and leaders also see the ideal, that what can be. Leaders see the real and the ideal. If you see only the ideal, then you're just a visionary. If you see only the real, but not the ideal, then you're an accountant. 
Leaders see both the real and the ideal. Leaders must ask for help. They just don't do that themselves. They ask for help. Leaders must ask. Number one, so you expect opposition. Number two, you get the facts. Number three, you identify with your people. Number four, you dramatize the problem. Number five, you ask people for a response. And finally, step number six, in your notes, Nehemiah encouraged the people with a personal testimony. He encourages people with a personal testimony. Look at Nehemiah 2, 18 to 20. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. Nehemiah's story here has two parts. In your notes, number one, he tells them how God has called him. God has actually called him, told them. As as a cupbearer, he had prayed for four months. God gave him a vision. A vision to rebuild the walls of the city. But God not only called him, God confirms this. Number two in your notes, he tells them how the king had confirmed him. The king said, yes, the king is going to say, pay for this himself. When the people heard the testimony and when they heard Nehemiah's story, they responded, yes, let's start rebuilding. What actually happened in your notes, the very vision, the vision of Nehemiah had been transferred. Nehemiah's vision to rebuild the walls had now been transferred to the people. God also has a vision for us. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that all who believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God tells his story. It contains both law and gospel. It's a good news and bad news. Sin is the bad news. Death is the bad news. Until you hear the judgment of God on man's sin, then you have no need for to hear the good news of the gospel about Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. And when you hear and see the vision of God, when you become a child of God through faith, he wants you to tell his story, to share the good news with others. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul says, follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. Paul's story was about Jesus, and it was about the hand of God that was upon his life, and how God had changed him, and how he forgave him how much Jesus loved him. So the final leader's law in your notes. I'm ready to lead when people see God's hand upon me. Nehemiah told the people about the gracious hand of God upon him, and then the people responded. So let us start. Let us start rebuilding. Our concluding prayer is that all leaders, all the leaders of our church, may God's hand rest upon you. And may God's people see that God's hand is upon you. Amen.